is up everybody welcome back to the full-time show i hope everyone is having a good day today i'm your host anthony like always and today we have a a bit of a different kind of podcast um first we're gonna preview uh el clasico um real madrid face fc barcelona in the super cup semi-final tomorrow um we'll talk about that just a little bit not too too much just a little um you know some predictions you know and then some questions and all of that um then we're gonna talk a bit more about some transfer news uh you know just some updates and all of that um and then we're gonna talk about um actually do a Q&A. Uh, we have a little Q&A at the end just with a few questions uh, from some of you guys, um, which I did on my Instagram story. So make sure to go follow that at the Madrid Insider and also follow our Instagram at the full dot time show. Um, but yeah, it, it should be a bit of a lighter podcast than usual. Usually we always kind of uh, scrunch a bunch of things into one podcast today it should be a bit of a shorter one it should just be more relaxed um, but it, it, hopefully it'll still be a good one um, but yeah if you guys enjoy the show please make sure to follow please make sure to rate it five stars out of five um, and make sure to go follow our instagram and uh, without further ado let's get straight into the podcast enjoy All right, so let's get into today's podcast. So first up, we're going to talk a bit about El Clasico, as I mentioned. Um, and and yeah, so, you know, this is one that I'm actually really excited for. And I think that there there's going to be some, some spark to it, some spice to it. Because, I mean, a lot has changed for Barca since the last time they played. Um new players, new manager, new system, new tactics, so it's very different, it's a very different look, um, and I think that there's also an element of revenge for Barca, and I think that Barca have a reason to be motivated, right, they have a new manager under Xavi, um, they've made new signings in, in Danny Alves and Ferran Torres, and uh, they've promoted, I'm, well, they haven't officially promoted, but a lot of uh, La Masia players like uh, Ferran Hudgala and Abde, uh, Ilias Akhomach, pardon me, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time pronouncing these names, you know, a lot of those players have been getting called up very often, so a lot of new players, it's a very, very new look, and I'm actually really excited to see how this will go, and especially when you consider the fact that, I mean, let's be honest, um, Barca are out of the league title race at, at this point, so for them, you know, this is the best way that they can um, take something out of Real Madrid's hands, um, you know, just try getting a trophy, um, because, I mean, this is this is probably their only chance, and apart from, obviously, the Copa del Rey to win a trophy, um, but it's it's going to be tough. They're going to have to overcome Real. They're going to have to overcome either Atletico or Athletic Bilbao, both two good teams as well. Um, but, yeah, so I think in terms of significance, this is a pretty... Um, pretty significant game for Barca, um, you know, with the January transfer window still around, maybe they look at this, they see, okay, you know what, this is still clearly lacking for us, um, we need to, um, 
you know, make some adjustments, uh, pardon me, adjustments, bring some players in, um, which is what they've been doing. Um, weirdly enough, they renewed Samuel and Titi's contract, which I don't really understand. Um, he did take a, um, a, a cut in his salary, which, by the way, I don't understand why he wouldn't do that in the summer, because I'm pretty sure if he did that in the summer, Messi would have been able to stay, but okay. Um, but I found that really weird. I mean, you know, it's not just the salary that makes the difference for MTT. I mean, why would you even want to keep him on your books? It's not like he's done anything for the last three years. He's he's kind of just been there, um, which, yeah, I really, I was like, when I saw the news, I was like, what? Like, I just, I couldn't comprehend it. Um, it just, it made literally no sense to me. Um, but, pff, I mean, we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. I, I don't understand it, especially with the, the movement that Barca are trying to go with, the direction. They're trying to go young, and Samuel Mtiti is anything but young. I believe he's now, like, 30 years old. Um, he's aged quite quickly. I don't think he's 30. I think he's younger than that. He's 28, yeah, but... I mean, he's not he's not necessarily a young player. He's not old, but at the same time, like, you know, if he's not going to be playing, if he's not going to be starting, um, then I don't understand what the point of really keeping him around is. Um, but, I mean, I, I guess Barca knows better than I do at the end of the day. Um, but, yeah, that's that's kind of something I'm, I'm questioning a little bit. Um, okay, so next. I wanted to do a combined starting 11. Now... You guys know I'm a Real Madrid fan, and I tried my very, very hardest to not be biased, okay? I, I, I really did. Now, the way I'm going to do this is by, um, I'm, I'm going to try not being biased, and I'm going to try basing it off of, like, this season's form, okay? Not just, like... Of course, it's not just this season's form, but just form in general. Like, if it's obviously something like, um, like, they just haven't been performing for the last, like, month or so, but, you know, like, last year they were very, very good, then I take that into consideration. But if it's, for example, like a Samuel Titi case where, you know, we know he can be a very talented footballer, um, and he's contributed to Barca, that was back in 2018-2017, so there's a bit of a difference, so keep that in mind, alright, so goalkeeper, so first of all, the formation I'm going to go with, I'm just going to go with a straight 4-3-3, okay, the formation I'm going with, yeah, pardon me, I just said the formation, the goalkeeper, <laughs> pardon me, is... Thibaut Courtois, and I don't think this should really be any debate. Um, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen has been in in a massive decline since that, you know, even, even since the 2018-19 season, um, but I think it really started in the 2019-20 uh, campaign where he really just, you know, took a nosedive in form, and ever since he hasn't been performing up to standards. Um, I, he's been playing a little better um, recently, but it's it's nowhere near the level of what Courtois has been doing for Real uh, this season and last season and even the season before that. Um, and I think you're comparing a guy who's probably the best goalkeeper, if not one of the best goalkeepers uh, in the world, to you know a struggling Ter Stegen. I think that 
is a pretty self-explanatory one. Now the right back. The right back is a really tough one because based off of what I just said, it should be Danny, pardon me, uh, based off of what I just said, it should be Danny Carvajal. Here's the thing though, right? Danny Carvajal, like we haven't seen enough of Danny Carvajal to even like mate like to even put him here. That's my problem, right? He's been injured so much. So so much and I I don't know how like I like if he was fit, he definitely would have slid into this combined 11, but it's just because he like we haven't seen enough of him in 2021 and even this year. He hasn't even made an appearance for Real this year. Um, but he wasn't included in the squad to uh, to Saudi Arabia to play the the El Clasico. However, um, I'm gonna go bold and I'm gonna put Serginio Dest. I don't. It's not. It's not because I think Serginio Dest is the better player. I just think that it's it's we just simply haven't seen enough of him, and it's not fair. But I mean, life isn't fair. What can I say? Okay, center backs now. I think this is where we'll spark some debate, especially between Real and Barca fans. My first center back is going to be Eder Militao. Um, I don't think Jared Piquet like, even stands a chance. I, I think most Barca fans can agree with that. I think mostly everyone can agree with that. Sergino, uh, pardon me, Jared Piquet does more defending on Twitter than he does on the pitch nowadays, if we're being honest, um, I, I actually don't even know how he's still starting, um, but, I mean, he's taking free kicks for them nowadays, so, who knows what goes on there, right, um, but in all seriousness, Eder Militao, I, th- I don't think this one should be much of a debate, um, he's, I would say he's been the best center back in La Liga, um, I think he's been better than Pau Torres. I think he's been better than Jules Kunde, Araujo, even David Alaba. Um, and he's arguably been a top three center back, maybe top five center back in Europe this season. I, I struggle to think of five center backs who have been better than him in this season. And his consistent play is just phenomenal. He did obviously have that... St- you know, stinker against Hitafe where, I mean, I wouldn't call it a stinker, because to be fair, the actual performance itself, it was a good performance, but, it, you know, he did give away that goal, um, so I will call it a stinker, um, but yeah, he's been phenomenal. The next one, it's tough, because you have to decide between Araujo or Alaba, and this is tough, but I think I'm gonna have to go with Alaba, because for a few reasons, I think firstly, I mean, if you look at just the standings, right, Real Madrid are sitting first in the league, and that is mainly due to the play of David Alaba and Eder Militao, right, the defense has been phenomenal in, in recent months, and then you look at Barca, and they're barely sixth place right now, so... I think that does make a very big difference. Um, as good as Araujo has been, like I really did have a hard time deciding this one because I do think he does deserve recognition. I really like him. But I think it's just the fact that Real are, are way higher. They're, what, 17, 
No, pardon me. They're... Oh, I don't even know. Like, 50... I can't do math. <laughs> well, what's 49 minus 32? Someone tell me. Okay, anyways. Um, anyways, they have a lot more points. They're much higher in the standings. Um, man, my quick math really... Really lax. This is gonna look really, really bad, guys. I promise. I'm not... I'm not that dumb. It's just... It's tough on the spot. <laughs> I, um... But... And, and also, when you consider, like, David Alaba... He arrived in Real this summer. Like, that's really impressive. You would think that he's been playing there for, for years, but nah, it's only been a few months. And I think his adaptation to a new country and new city, new teammates, uh, I think that has been really, really impressive. And it's not like David Alaba's a player that he moves around often, right? That's the thing. He, what, he was at Bayern for, like, over a decade. So... You know, he's a pretty loyal guy. It's not like he was moving around constantly like other players. So he never really had that, you know, chance of going to a new, um, you know, going to new countries very often, you know, in terms of teams. So I think that has been really, really impressive. Okay, now left back. Again, this has been a bit of a tougher one. Um, now... Honestly, even right now, I'm I'm speaking because I did these before um, I I got on the podcast. But like even now, like I'm still debating in my head like who I think should be starting here um, between Furlan Mendy and Jordi Alba, and I'm having a really tough time deciding. I'm not gonna lie, uh, Furlan Mendy, he was injured. At the beginning of the season, he did miss a lot of this um, of this uh, season's. Uh, pardon me, the first part of the season. I I don't know what I'm doing. I'm rambling here, um, but I think I might have to go with Jordi Alba. Um, I think Furlan Mendy's big limitation with him has always been the offensive side of things and I know that's not how you should be looking at things right he's a defender his job is to defend but the matter the truth is part of me is that nowadays fullbacks are expected to attack whether you like it or not the best in the world they are all expected to attack Shao Cancelo Trent Alexander-Arnold Atraf Hakimi Pedro Porro many more right they're all expected to attack and I find that as good as Mendy is defensively, I don't think that he does enough offensively. Um, and that's my one, that's always been my one criticism on Mendy. As much as I like Mendy, and I'm very happy he's at Real, because I do think that without him, he would be, like, this team would be in very different places right now. Um, but, yeah, it's just, yeah, um, I don't know. Alaba in La Liga, four assists. Mendy, only one. He does have a goal, though, to be fair. I don't even remember who that goal came against. Who, who did that come against? I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's, it is what it is. That, that was a tough one. That's a very debatable one. There's a lot of debatable ones here. Okay, the next one. This is another debatable one. Um, defensive midfield. Casemiro or Busquets. Now, I'm not going to lie. I've been very disappointed in... Casemiro um, over 
this season, over the course of this season. Um, I think that he has regressed from last season for sure. Um, my big, like, you know what's weird? Like, Busquets and Casemiro, even though they play the same position, they both have, like, they're both very different players. Because Casemiro is super, super athletic. Right, he's very strong. He can jump high, you know, to those corners, to those headers. He wins a lot of headers, as we know, um, and he wins a lot of duels, ground duels, aerial duels. Um, and he's one of the best defenders in the world. While, you know, Busquets is not really none of that. He's not very athletic. Um, he's quite thin. Uh, he's not a bad defender, but he's he's not like a very good defender. He's he's at best an average defender. But he's very good under pressure. He's not someone that panics under pressure. He can get around players. And when it comes to just finding players in space and, and finding players um, just under pressure, not giving the ball away when multiple players and multiple defenders are surrounding him, he's one of the best in the business. And that's why he stuck around for so long, despite you know his, his, uh, his uh, athletic... Uh, athleticism, pardon me, you know, declining. But Casemiro, he's very bad under pressure. And that's been very evident this season. You know, Cruz was injured for, like, the first month of the season. And Casemiro struggled. He's continuing to struggle. Against Alcoyano, he was, he had a horror show against Alcoyano. Every time, like, there was even a defender five meters within him, it's like he'd give away the ball in panic. So that's... It's, it's it's weird, you know? They're very different players. Um, I still think, though, if you ask me, like, who would I rather have in my team, Sergio Busquets or Casemiro right now, I think I, I would take Casemiro still. Um, just because, like, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's a close one, honestly. I don't... Yeah. That's, that's a tough one. I, I don't know. Like, it's, uh, yeah, it's tough. That's another very debatable one. There's a lot of debatable ones here, as I said. Um, okay, the midfield. Um, I'm just going to tell you right now, Luka Modric, Tony Cruz. I don't think there should be much debate. Um, Frankie de Jong, maybe if this was two years ago, maybe I'd say Frankie de Jong would be in here. But... I don't think Frankie de Jong has lived up to the full expectations that you know fans had for him when he arrived at the Camp Nou for 90 million euros uh, from Ajax. Um, I don't think that he's been bad by any means. I just don't think he's lived up to that stardom expectation. He's He's been pretty inconsistent. He's had games where... He's looked like a ghost, and then he has games where he orchestrates the Barca midfield. But I find that whenever, especially when it comes to big games, he does ghost a lot. And that's his my biggest criticism for him. Uh, every time I even watch El Clasico, it, he's always a ghost. He's just always a ghost. He's always getting dominated because the midfield of Real is so good. And I know how biased that sounds. Trust me, I know how biased that sounds. But, like, am I not right? Like, I, I think I do have a point. Um, but, yeah, I think that should really be no debate. Okay, right wing. So, I mean, if you can... Now, I'm not going to consider Farron Torres uh, because he hasn't even played a game for Barca yet. So, how can I 
how can I even consider that, right? Um, so I'm not considering Ferran Torres. I think right wing it has to be Asensio. I know Abde has been someone that's emerged onto the scene for Barca, and he's done quite well. But I think Asensio is still better in the grand scheme of things. Um, he's more experienced, and uh, he's actually been more consistent this season, which was always my biggest Asensio. You know, I've I've been a big critic of Asensio recently. I I must admit, but. I do give credit where credit is due, and I must say that he has done a good job of staying more consistent. He's finding the back of the net more often, um, and his performances are just better. That's the most important thing. Uh, and he's also been tracking back on defense a lot more, um, especially against Valencia. He was incredible defensively, uh, obviously for his standards. Um, but yeah, I'll go with Asensio at right wing. Striker, this should be no question. Uh, Kareem Benzema, Memphis Depay. I don't really know what happened to him. He started off the season really well. Uh, I was I was really hyping him up. I was saying that Barca got one of the steals of the summer, but yeah, he just he hasn't been performing, and he's honestly been getting benched by Luke De Jong, which is pretty embarrassing to get benched by Aloni. Um, but <laughs> yeah, that that's how it's gone for Depay, and then left wing. Again, this shouldn't be a debate. Uh, Vinicius Jr. As much as I like Ansu Fati, I'm actually a big Ansu Fati fan myself. I mean, Vinny, Vinny has just been so damn good this season. He already has 14 goals and 10 assists. Um, and it's, what, January 11th as I'm recording this. So, yeah, he's been on a tear. And I couldn't leave him out of this. So, yeah, it's a pretty Madrid-biased team. And it does look biased, but I think it is, I think it is correct. You know, Barca just haven't been very good this season. So, um, so yeah. Okay. Finally, I'm going to do a quick prediction. Now, where does this game fall, right? I think the biggest point is going to be the Barca defense. How will Ter Stegen perform? How will Araujo perform? I think that's a really big one because Araujo is Barca's best defender by far. So how good of a game is he going to have? Because if he doesn't step up, Barca are going to be in some trouble. If he steps up, though, Barca have a good chance. They do have a good chance. The biggest part for Barca is going to keep be keeping Vinicius quiet, and I'm sure they know that. Vinny is the one who makes things click. Benzema's the one who scores most of the goals, yes. But without Vinicius, Benzema just doesn't have the same success. And, I mean, we saw that against Hitafe even. Benzema had a shocker against Hitafe, And, I mean, I'm not saying this is the reason why, but, I mean, Vinny wasn't there. Just saying. Um, so, it's going to be a matter of keeping Vinny quiet and obviously keeping Benzema quiet. You don't want to keep Benzema, you know, uh, not... Keeping, pardon me, not keeping Benzema quiet. I don't even know what I'm saying, but you know what I'm trying to say. Um, and yeah, I think that's going to be a big point. Now, I think the fact that I do believe, I, I do believe, now I could be wrong, so someone can uh, fact check me on this, but I do believe that Serginho Dest will not be uh, in the Barca squad. I don't think he is. Um, I'm just checking right now, but I mean, if you have 38-year-old Danny Alves, and this isn't even Danny Alves slander, 
But if you have Danny Alves uh, starting, I mean, I just a matchup between Alves and Vinny. I mean, I, I, I could be wrong always. This is a prediction, but I can't see Vinny doing anything but smoking him, to be honest. He's just so much quicker, so much more athletic. And, I mean, it makes sense. Like, Vinny's literally almost 20 years younger than, uh, than Danny Alves, so that's crazy. Um, but I'm also excited to see if uh, Farron Torres and Pedri will play because both of them are uh, in the squad to face Real. Now, I don't know if they'll start, especially Pedri, because I think Pedri's coming back from a really long injury. But I wonder if Ferran Torres will start, because Barca have now officially registered him in La Liga, so he can now officially play games for Barca. Um, but does Xavi... Like, my question is, does Xavi want to start Ferran Torres? Like, does he kind of just want to throw him into the deep of the ocean and decide... You know what? You'll start against uh, Real, even though you've never played. I don't know, um, but I'm sure we'll at least both see, like, see both of them play. So I'm actually really excited to see that. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that's all. So in terms of prediction, I'm gonna go for a final score of two nil to Real Madrid. Two nil. I think that. Barca will run Real Madrid's money. I think they will make it tough. But I think the fact that Barca just are a very inexperienced team with a very inexperienced coach, I think Real will come out on top. And I hope they will for myself because I'm a Real Madrid fan. But hey, the next time on this podcast, we'll probably be talking about that game. Um, So let's see if my prediction's correct. Um, hopefully I don't look stupid. Also, just to confirm, Serginio Dest is in the uh, the Barca squad. I actually didn't know that, but yeah. Um, so that's going to end it for the first segment. Um, we're going to move on to the second segment. I'm going to take a quick break, and then I'll be right back. All right, let's get into the second segment of the podcast. Once again, I am Anthony. Before we get to this uh, segment... Please make sure, if you haven't already, to share the podcast. You've made it this far into the podcast, so you clearly like it. Please make sure to rate it. Please make sure to follow it. Show whatever love and support um, you can. It really does mean a lot. Even if one person does it, it could just be something really little. Anyways, uh, let's get into it. Now, first of all, I just want to say this. One thing I love about podcasts is that like, I can do one segment then I can go do something else and then come back. So I just did a little workout and now I'm here and I'm recording, you know? So that's one thing I love about podcasts. But uh, yeah, anyway, so we're going to talk a little bit just about some transfers. Not too, too much uh, in terms of, you know, big moves have happened since um, the last podcast. Uh, But there's a few uh, little things here we want to talk about. So uh, it shouldn't be too, too... um, too, too much, but anyways, uh, let's get into it. So, uh, the first one, and probably actually the biggest one, is uh, Newcastle have signed uh, Chris Wood from Burnley for a reported fee of uh, £20 million. Um, that is from uh, Burnley, as I said. Now, this is an interesting deal. Um, 
I I have mixed thoughts on this. Um, now I think that the reason why Newcastle are making, I think this is the main reason, is because um, Callum Wilson will be out for eight weeks, and those eight weeks for Newcastle. I mean, and this these next you know few months for Newcastle are are huge. They're some of the biggest months in their club's history um, because it's all about staying alive, just getting to that summer and staying in the Premier League and they need whatever kind of points whatever kind of games they can scrap out everything matters um so I understand why they make this deal um but I still think that this isn't a very good signing I don't think that it's necessarily because Chris Wood is a bad player but if you're looking long term and again I know Newcastle are running like short on time and they they at the moment aren't looking long term. But I'm just saying if you're looking long term, I don't think that this is a very good signing. Um you're signing a 30-year-old for 20 million pounds. I think for 20 million and it's not just his age, but with all due respect, I mean Chris Wood, he's not the greatest player in the world and Honestly, if you ask me, I don't think Chris Wood is that much of a improvement over Callum Wilson or even Joel Linton. And, I mean, the stats don't lie. In 17 Premier League games, Chris Wood has started 17 and scored 3. For Callum Wilson, uh, he started 14, so 3 less, and he scored 3 more. So he scored 6 goals. Um... And then Joel Linton, let's take a look at his stats. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think this signing makes much sense. I think if you want to spend 20 million euros, um, I think Joel Linton's been injured. He's only playing one game. Okay. Uh, anyways. Um, oh no, this is FA Cup. My bad. <laughs> um, oh wow, Joel Linton's had a stinker of a season. Never mind. 13 started, one goal. Okay, never mind. Forget what I said about Joe Linton. Man, what happened to him? Anyways, let's stay on topic. Um, I think if you're spending twenty million pounds, I, I again I understand the situation that Newcastle are in, but we're talking about a team that is owned by an estate worth four hundred billion euros. And it's not even about the money. I just think it's the the use of the money. I think for twenty million pounds, you could have used it a lot better and I think that if Newcastle are thinking of this idea of um you know just thinking short term staying in the Premier League and making it to the summer I think at the very least you know what you can just do you could just ask you know try getting a loan try loaning players in maybe Anthony Marshall Anthony Marshall would be a really good one for example because we know his situation at Man United isn't great. I'm sure he would be willing to uh, move away from Manchester, and he'd still be earning the same salary, so that shouldn't be a problem. And he'd be a guaranteed starter week in, week out. And we know that, yes, even though he, has, um, he, he hasn't been great recently, we know what an excellent player he can be. So I think it's just the use of the money was not great. Now... Chris Wood, he does have uh, some qualities. I think 
the biggest one just being like he's a very kind of Luke de Jong type player. Uh, he's he's a tall player. He's 191 centimeters. I don't know what that is in feet, but um, he's 191 centimeters. He's quite tall. Um, I'm 184, so I'm like I'm like close to six foot one. So that's like that's pretty tall. That's like six four, six five, or something like that. I think. Um, but he will get, you know, he will be good, uh, for crossing, you know, getting headers, and, uh, he will probably score a few goals off of, uh, crosses from guys like, uh, say Maximan, but again, I'm gonna keep saying, I just, I think really that for the amount of money that they spent, you could have gotten a lot much more for 20 million euros, and 20 million pounds, and again, if you're thinking short term, get a loan, Loan someone in. Bring someone in that is just not happy with their current situation at their club and bring them in. You know? Um, it, again, it could be an Anthony Marshall. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of other players. Um, maybe Aubameyang? Because, again, right, people need to realize that now the money isn't a problem for Newcastle. Money is the least of their worries right now. Their biggest problem, or their biggest um, task, I should say, is staying in the Premier League. You bring in Aubameyang. Again, Aubameyang is another one of those players that he hasn't been great recently. He's been very poor, but we know how good of a player he can be. And if he's just in a new environment, and it's not like he'd be moving much. He'd still be in the same country, same league. You know, he, he knows the language. So it wouldn't be that hard of a transition. Um, again, that would be another great player, another good signing that I would think would be a lot better. Um, yeah, I just I'm struggling to understand this signing, um, but I mean we'll see, we'll see. Um, like he is a good anchor player, um, that that's good. But when it comes to just the technical ability. It's it's not there. He's not a great passer. Uh, his ball control isn't great. Um, and 1v1, I mean, he's he's really not great 1v1. So he's kind of just there uh, to for good hold-up play, you know, finish, uh, get to the end of headers and crosses. But that's about it. But I think if you're going to spend 80, uh, pardon me, 20 million pounds, I think you could easily get a better player. With all due respect to Chris Wood, again, he's not a bad player. Um, I just, yeah, I think it's a bit of a disappointing signing. Um, you're going from, you know, a very quality signing like Kieran Trippier to Chris Wood. Um, and again, you know, I, I know this is the third time I'm saying this today. I understand that they want to stay in the Prem. But, you also need to realize, or they also need to realize that, like, they're not going to be good tomorrow, no matter who they bring in. And I understand why they bring in Kieran Trippier. You're bringing in an experienced veteran who is a top quality player. But you also need to bring in young players because that is what you need right now. That is what you need. You need young players um, to lead this movement. Because you're not going to be able to get the biggest stars in the league. Or, or in the world, pardon me. So, that's kind of how I view it. Um, if I had to give this one a rating out of 10, 
Uh, I'm going to be honest, I'm not impressed with it. I'll give it a 4 out of 10. I just, yeah, I, I don't think it's a, a good signing, so uh, we'll see. But look, hopefully I'm proven wrong for Newcastle's sake, um, but this will obviously make me look bad. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't really care about that. Um, that's just my take, so yeah. Um, so next little rumor here we have is Lucas Digne to Aston Villa. Now, this rumor uh, comes from Fabrizio Romano. All these are coming from Fabrizio Romano, the football transfer goat. Um, but I was I was actually really surprised to see this rumor. Uh, not surprised, that's not the right word, but I was um, like pleasantly surprised, I should put it that way. Um, I think this is a great shout by Aston Villa. Um Lucas Digne has been someone that's been rumored to want out of Everton. Obviously, Everton have been terrible this season. I believe they're sitting uh, like 15th in the Premier League right now. Um, let me just check. Yeah, 15th in the Premier League. Um, they're only nine points behind last place Norwich. Um, and they themselves only have 19 points. Um so yeah, it's been a really bad season for Everton, as you can tell. Um, funny enough, they're uh, actually one, uh, like like one standing behind, like they're one place behind Aston Villa is what I'm trying to say. Aston Villa is 14th. Anyways, both teams they need some help at the moment, and I think this is a great signing for Steven Gerrard. Steven Gerrard has been doing bits so far for. Um, Aston Villa so far, um, he did obviously sign um, Phil Coutinho in uh, very recently. We actually talked about that in the last show. If you want to hear a little, like my take on that, make sure you go um, check that out. But um, yeah, Steven Gerrard has been doing a great job so far. Uh, he won against Leicester City last time out in the Prem, and they almost they they were so unlucky to not win against Man United. Um, <clears throat> they were the far more like they were the better team in my opinion. Um, but this is a good signing for Aston Villa, I think, and um, it it makes sense. It really does make sense because um, you look at their squad, and you know at left back, uh, this isn't even like. Ashley Young slander, but you do need a new a new left back. You know, Ashley Young, he's 36 years old. And I'm not trying to sit here and pretend like just because he's up there in age for a footballer that he's not good. Um, that's that's I'm not trying to sound like that because in the next segment, I'm going to talk about Luka Modric. Um, but, you know, this is a relatively young team. And Ashley Young is going to be 37 in July. Um, and he, he has been on a bit of a decline, you know, that being said though, he still has been pretty decent for them. Um, but I think bringing in Lucas Digne would be great. Uh, Lucas Digne is, I honestly, I would go as far as saying that he's one of the best left backs and probably one of the best fullbacks in the league period. Um, he's a solid, solid left back. Uh, we know he used to play at Barca. And then he moved uh, to Everton to get more game time, which I think was smart by him. It's clearly worked out. Um, but we did talk about Aston Villa in the last um, podcast as well a little bit. And we talked about how, you know, Philip Coutinho, he'll bring 
a lot of creativity and dynamism to the midfield and that should hopefully help uh, boost the attack of Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins and hopefully produce more goals and I think that um, that Lucas Digne would do the same he's one of the best crossers in the league he's one of the best probably offensive uh, fullbacks in the league when it comes to uh, goal scoring and assisting um, so he would be a solid addition um, and I think Aston Villa, bit by bit, they're they're really starting to build a solid team here. At right back, you know, they have Matty Cash, uh, left back, if they bring in Lucas Dinier. That'd be a really solid fullback combo. And I think if you bring in Lucas Dinier, and then, you know, you maybe improve the wings a little bit, because Leon Bailey, you know, he's been, he's been a bit uh, underwhelming in his Aston Villa debut season. Uh, in nine games, he only has one goal and two assists. Um, he has only played about 47 minutes per game. Um, but, you know, he has been a bit underwhelming uh, for various reasons. Um, and I think that, yeah, bringing in Lucas Dinier, that helps a lot. Now, I'm not going to talk too, too much about that because it's just rumors for now. It just says that um, they're just, uh, ha- like, Aston Villa have been both work have been working uh, for days to sign Lucas Digne. They have always been front runners, and Chelsea are out of the race. Talks on, not 100% agreed yet between clubs. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just, it seems like they're just talking. Uh, it doesn't seem like anything is uh, advanced. Anyways, uh, let's move on to the next player, and we're going to talk about Luka Modric. And um, Luka Modric is set to stay at Real Madrid. Uh, that is according to uh, Madridista Real, um, a Real Madrid uh, source, newspaper, um, and uh, to Diario EA. Pardon me, Diario AS. I don't know why I'm saying it like that, just AS. Um, and Marca, so a lot of Spanish newspapers are reporting it. Carlo Ancelotti also confirmed in a press conference today, Luka Modric has not signed the contract renewal yet, but he practically has a lifetime contract with Real Madrid. And Fabrizio Romano uh, reports that the club is planning to extend his contract until June 2023, and it's just simply a matter of time. And yeah, I mean, that pretty much makes sense. Um... He's he's been one of the best players for Real Madrid for the last decade. Um, I remember when he came to well, I don't remember because I didn't really, you know, watch football then. I was pretty young, but um, you know, looking back at the the media and how everyone reacted to that signing at the time, you know, everyone was criticizing it, saying that Real massively overpaid and this and that and. Um, it's crazy to think that now, 10 years later, he's still at the club at age 36, playing some of the best football um, of his career. And it's crazy to me how Luka Modric, it, just, it seems like he, he doesn't age. Um, or he ages like a fine wine, I should say. He just continuously gets better. Um, and, and it's amazing to see this. And I think he fully deserves a new contract renewal. Um, for me, the most important thing is always the on-pitch performance. It's not so much about the age, and that's why, you know, I talked earlier about how I know Ashley Young is up there in age, but there's a difference. Like, Ashley Young has had a clear decline. Luka Modric, he hasn't. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's literally starting 
every single game for Real Madrid at age 36. He's going to be 37 years old in September this year. Um, so that just shows how much he's taking care of his body. And I think Modric is more than just a footballer. I think that he's such a good example for guys in the locker room. And you can see, I'm, I'm not saying this is the direct impact, but I think it does impact players. You see the transformation of a guy like Vinicius Jr., how much he has not just transformed his performance on the pitch, but also just transformed his body. Um, and I think that Modric, he, he honestly does get discredited for his athleticism. Like, this is a pretty athletic guy. I mean, we're talking about a guy who starts week in, week out for probably the biggest club in the world at age 36 years old. There's very, very few players in the world, apart from guys like Cristiano Ronaldo, who can play at this high of a level at this age. I mean, even looking at, at greats like uh, Andres Iniesta, um, I mean, he's killing it in Japan, but I mean, Japan doesn't even compare to playing at the Santiago Bernabeu week in, week out, right? Um, so, I think that Modric is a great veteran presence. Uh, he's a leader. Uh, he's responsible. He's a good role model. He's always been very professional. I can't remember, like, a single time where where he's had bad uh, media coverage about, you know, him wanting to go here, something like that. It's always fake rumors, and that's why Luka Modric is one of my favorite players. He's, he's such a great and talented player, but he's also a great role model. And I think if he keeps performing at this level... You keep him here as long as you can, you know, as long as there's a very evident decline, you know, a decline like a Marcelo or a Bale or an Isco or something like that. Then you say, okay, Modric, unfortunately, we have to stop. We can't offer you a new contract or simply until he decides, you know what, I've given my club this, uh, my all, um, you know, I've played here for over 10 years now. I'm going to retire. And it's very possible that he does retire next uh, next year. I mean, we did say that last summer as well. And, and now he's getting a new contract offer. But it, it is pretty possible. I mean, he will be uh, 37, close to 38. Um, and that's also the same time when Tony Cruz retires. Uh, pardon me, when Tony Cruz's uh, Real Madrid contract ends, which is 2023, obviously. But to be fair, it does look like Cruz will renew probably for one more year, kind of like Modric has been doing. Um, but yeah, I'm happy about this. I'm very happy. Um, I hope that he keeps um, uh, keeps doing this. And uh, yeah. Okay. Um Gonna talk a bit uh, about some more contract talk. Uh, Mo Salah, uh, he's right now away from Liverpool with Egypt, playing in the Africa Cup of Nations. I must admit myself, I haven't watched any games from the Africa Cup of Nations, but um, I think when it gets to the knockout rounds, I'll probably start watching it just because, like, this isn't like criticism is just you know I don't know like if I'm being honest I don't know many of the players you know especially from countries like Sudan or Jordan um, or any of countries like that you know so um, eh, that's my fault like you know I just I don't pay too much attention to, to African football if I'm being honest so uh, yeah I'm, I do hope that I'll watch some of the Africa Cup of Nations and I'm hoping that um, we'll at least cover the uh, the finals because I, I think that'd be fun um, but yeah, Mo Salah today, 
Uh, he says, I want to stay, uh, sorry, on his contract. I want to stay, but it's not in my hands. It's in their hands. They know what I want. I'm not asking for crazy stuff. Um, I love the fans and the club, but with the administration, they've been told the situation. It's in their hands. Um, I think I think this is one of the reasons why you know Liverpool haven't been making signings recently. And I kind of feel bad for Liverpool fans because I always see them on Twitter and on Instagram and just on social media, you know, begging for new signings. Uh, I think the last signing they made was back in March of last year. Um, or April when they signed uh, Ibrahim Konate from RB Leipzig, which is looking like a pretty solid signing. Um, but I think this is one of the reasons they just haven't been making signings is because they have to focus on this contract renewal of Salah. And understandably so. I mean, when you have one of the best players in the world, one of the best wingers in the world, one of the best Premier League players of all time, running short on their contract. Uh, I, I mean, he does end in 2023, but I mean... This is a guy, like, next year, next summer, a lot of offers are going to be coming in, I'm sure, from guys like, not guys, from big, big teams, you know, um, PSG, Real, Barca maybe even, you know, if Holland doesn't work out, Man City maybe, um, because they know, like, this is a player in their prime and they know what he gives, Um I think if you're Liverpool, I mean, you just have to renew him. The work he's been doing at Liverpool for the past, I mean, ever since he actually arrived, it's been amazing. And uh, he's fully lived up to that 40 million euro transfer fee um, that they paid for him um, from Roma. And yeah, I think you give him what he he wants um, because he's a player that provides goals, goals, and lots of goals. Um, so yeah, I don't have too much to say there. Um, apparently Chelsea are also looking to buy, um, a right back. Um, Chelsea, according to Fabrizio Romano, are trying to offer compensation around 4 million euros to recall Emerson Palmieri in January. Uh, it's not easy though. Olympique Lyonnais have already turned down their approaches two times. Chelsea have a plan B in the list. Emerson has always been the priority. Um, I think they're doing this because I'm pretty sure Aspliqueta is... Uh, I'm pretty sure he got injured. Um, I'm going to check right now. But, um, I mean, yeah, it, it kind of makes sense. If you're kind of just getting a player for... Um, just to cover for injury. Um, and also, he his contract does run out at the end of the summer, which is something to keep in mind. And he has been linked with uh, FC Barcelona. Um, that's something that actually could happen. He is a good player, uh, Asli Cueta. He's not an easy player to uh, replace. Um, but, yeah, I don't have too much to say about that, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, that's that's about it for the um, transfer news. Um we're going to get into the Q&A next. We just have a few questions, not too many this time around. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to take a break, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome to the third segment of the podcast. We're going to do a little Q&A here. Um, so, let's get straight into it. Um, again, I have a few questions only, but, uh, yeah. All right, so first question is, Green Benzema... Terry Henry. Oh man, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one. Um, 
Look, it's it's tough for me because, like, I don't know how to answer this because I've never watched Thierry Henry. I've only ever seen highlights and clips and goals and stuff like that. But I've never, you know, gotten the chance to watch him. Um, you know, if I'm being honest, like I, I haven't been watching football for that long. You know, only a few years. I, I think I really started to like watch Real Madrid like daily was like 2017. So not very long, admittedly. So, so it's hard for me to say. Um, I think if we're going off of the stats, um. I do think probably Terry Henry does edge um, Kareem Benzema still a little bit, um, just because like he did have obviously like a World Cup, right? He did win a World Cup, yeah, he did win a World Cup, um, two Premier Leagues, um, what else? He's a European champion as well, um, five-time top scorer, uh, eight-time Footballer of the Year. Um, what other trophies does he have? Uh, he has so many trophies. Um, two-time Player of the Year at Arsenal. Um, three-time FA Cup winner. One-time Champions League winner. Like so, like I'm not even gonna say all these because there's just so many. Um, but like all-time stats. Uh, I mean, he does have what 360 goals and 179 assists. Let's compare that to Kareem Benzema's all-time stats. Like this is tough. I'm I'm pretty much going off of stats here, and I know this. Um, so it's it's really hard to say. Um, but you look at Benzema, three-time Footballer of the Year, one-time top scorer. Though he does have four Champions Leagues, uh, three-time you know La Liga champion. Um, he doesn't obviously have a World Cup or a Euros, which I mean, he probably would have a World Cup by now, if we're being honest, um, if not for that Valbuena incident back in, what was it, like 2000, I don't even remember what year it was, um, but yeah, all-time stats for Benzema, um, let me take a look here, uh, all seasons, so he has, in all competitions, he has, uh, where is it, um, 367 goals and 213 assists. So he does actually have more uh, goals and assists than Terry Henry, which is interesting. And you do also have to consider, like, Terry Henry played in the MLS at one point. Green Benzema has been in the top five leagues for his entire career and is playing the best football of his life at 34 years of age. Um... I I don't know how to answer this because, like, I just I haven't seen Thierry Henry play, so I'm basically like it's basically such a one-sided argument, right? Like, I know I watch Benzema week in week out, and I've been watching him for years. I know what he does. Um, I'm gonna have to go with Kareem Benzema. Like, if you disagree with me, like, I totally understand why. Um, but I mean, if you look at the stats, like Kareem Benzema, he does have more goals, and more assists, and that's also, that's also in fewer games, so that's something to take in consideration, like, Thierry Henry played 791 matches in total, Kareem Benzema played, uh, 734, 
and this doesn't include uh, friendlies or anything like that. So, yeah, I'm going to say Kareem Benzema. And then you also consider, I mean, he was a part of one of the best um, attacking trios of all time. Um, obviously, BBC, um, Bale, Benzema, Cristiano. Um, and, of course, a part of that once-in-a-lifetime Real Madrid UCL 3P, which has never been done before, apart from Real Madrid back in, like, the 1960s. Um, yeah, that's tough, though. That's a tough first question. Good question. Okay, is Benzema, another Benzema question, is Benzema Real Madrid's best striker overall? I'm going to assume by overall you mean of all time. Because if we're talking now, well, obviously. Um, I think of all time, though, yeah. I think it's not, like, it's no question, yeah. Um, like, I'm basing this purely off of, like, time spent at Real Madrid. If we're talking, you know, Ronaldo, Van Nistelrooy, Raul, um, then I would say that yes. No, sorry, he's not. I think the only striker, though, is probably that that really comes close is Raul. And I actually forgot about Raul. So that's that's a tough one. Now that, now that makes me question if I'm so certain. Um, because Raul, like, at the time, when Raul was playing at Real, like, he was the... He was the man, you know, he was the one with the number seven, scoring goals week in, week out, and, I mean, now Benzema does do that, obviously, um, but let's let's take a look here at all-time stats, and again, this is another one of those where, like, it's hard to say because I have never watched Raul play, so it's tough, right, it's really tough, I've only ever seen highlights and clips and all of that, um, but all-time stats, um, Raul uh, 384 goals, which is more than Benzema, um, by less than 20, actually, 17 goal difference, um, he has 140 assists, but that's in 916 games played, which is close to 200 more than Benzema, um, I do think, however, though, if we're talking all time, um, Ah, I don't know, man. Like, it's so tough because even, like, their, like, even their, um, like, trophies are so, like, it's so impressive for Raul as well. Five-time Football of the Year, four-time top scorer, three-time Champions League, which is only one less than Kareem Benzema, six-time Spanish champion, which is more than Benzema. Benzema, I believe, Benzema has two, so... He has three times the amount of La Liga titles, four times Spanish Cup winner, even as a German Cup uh, when he won uh, with Schalke back in 2011. Uh, he even has a... Actually, I didn't even... Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, he uh, he played for Al Sad. Oh, man. And yeah, he also played for New York Cosmos. Oh, man. I actually forgot about that. Huh. Um... um I mean, so here's the thing. I think right now, like, if you ask me right now, which you are, I still think Raul edges it. However, I, I think it's very close. I think it's, like, marginally close. Like, if someone said to me that Kareem Benzema is better than Raul, I wouldn't argue it. Like, I'd say, yeah, okay, that's your opinion. I I don't blame you for that opinion, right? Um, 
for now, I'm saying that Raul is better simply because he still does have more goals um, at Real Madrid than Benzema. However, I do think that's an achievement that will be broken by Benzema very soon. Benzema has 301 goals. Raul has 323. This is at Real Madrid. So he's only 22 goals behind Raul. Um, and I mean, if he's scoring at the rate he's scoring at right now, then he'll 100% break it. Um, but yeah, for now, I will say that Raul, Raul part of me, is the best Real Madrid striker of all time. And Especially considering, like, he was part of that Galactico team. Um, so, yeah. But Benzema is a close second, in my opinion, for sure. Okay. Oh, man. This is a controversial one. These are good questions, man. Okay. Is Cristiano Ronaldo still in the top 10 best footballers? So, I'm assuming you mean currently. Um, this is tough. Um... I have to think here for a second, like, because how am I going to base this off? Am I going to base this off of, like, the last, like, year? Um, well, let's look. Like, I would say players that have been better than him in the last year, um, I would say have been, obviously, Robert Lewandowski, Lionel Messi, Kareem Benzema, so that's three. Um, I would even go as far as saying Erling Haaland and Mbappe have been better than him. Um, I mean, I would, yeah, okay, I would still say he's top 10, it's like, it's hard to not put Cristiano Ronaldo top 10, right, because even if he's in a bad run of form, I'm not saying, like, I'm not implying he is, like, I'm just saying, like, if he were to be in a bad run of form, like, it's still hard to not put him in my top 10 because, I mean, we're talking about one of the greatest, if not the greatest football player of all time. Like, one of the greatest to ever touch a football, right? So, it's hard to not put him in the top 10. But, I mean, he de he definitely obviously has declined. And that simply is due to the fact that he's aged. I mean, he's he's almost 37 years old. Um, if he's not already, is he already 37? I, I don't think he is. I think he is, uh, 36. Let me just check to make sure. Yeah, he is. But I mean, in less than a month, he's going to be 37. So it, that's obviously very understandable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say he's top 10 still. I, I would, um, yeah, I think so. But honestly, if you were to give me like, cause it's hard, like I'm answering these on the spot. Like I, I don't. Like, I'm literally looking at these now. Um, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I would say, I don't think he's top five, unfortunately, but he's still top ten, in my opinion. Okay, this is a good one. This is a little FIFA-related question. Uh, what's your team of the year for 2021? It's actually pretty funny you ask that, um, because I actually did mine today. I casted my vote today, and... Um, I asked a couple of my friends, and some of them, they didn't fully agree with it. But yeah, I'll, I'll tell you guys mine right now. I'm just going based off of memory, so hopefully I can remember here. So, I know my goalkeeper was Thibaut Courtois. Um, I think that if we're talking based on based off of like pure performances, I think Thibaut Courtois has, has easily been the best keeper in the world. Um, I think the only one... 
the only two goalkeepers who really challenge him are Donnarumma and Edouard Mendy. But even those two, like, I think I take Courtois over those two, even though, like, like Edouard Mendy, he's a UCL winner. And Gianluigi Donnarumma, he just won the Euros, right? But I think Courtois has been more consistent than both of them. Courtois has, uh, pardon me, Donnarumma has has struggled a little bit at PSG. Um, you know he's competing with Na- uh, not Neymar, uh, Kaylor Navas for that starting role, and that's not easy. I mean Kaylor Navas, he's a very respectable goalkeeper. He's one of the best goalkeepers in the last decade. Um, so that's tough. And Eduardo Mendy, um, you know, last few like last month or two, he's he's been a little bit. Uh, questionable at times. Um, I mean, we all remember that that one. Uh, I forget who scored, but that horror mistake he made against West Ham. I mean, that was shocking. That was just a complete lack of focus. And I know it's unfair to base it. Like, I'm not basing it off of this one mistake, obviously. But like, I'm just going as far to say, like, Courtois has literally been like perfect in in 2021. I can't even like. Like I'm, I don't even recall like one mistake that he made. Like, like uh, by mistake, like obviously he made a mistake, misplaced passes and stuff like that. But in terms of like direct mistakes that led to a direct goal, I don't think he's actually made a single error. Which, like, you know how impressive that is. I mean, we're talking about a guy that literally played every single game for his country and for his club despite one game in the Copa del Rey. And in that one game, they lost to Alcoyano. Um, and I think just the amount of times that he saved Real Madrid, um, I, I think it's no question it should be Courtois. Not no question, but I, I think it should be Courtois. Um, right back, I went with Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, the, my two center backs were... Uh, Ruben Diaz and Antonio Rudiger. I think those are both pretty explanatory, to be honest. Um, Antonio Rudiger. Um, I've already expressed my thoughts on Rudiger. I really like him. Um, I think he's a solid center back. I'd love to have him at Real Madrid. Um, he had a phenomenal 2021, and he played a really big role in Chelsea winning the Champions League. Um, and Ruben Diaz, he won men's player of, or men's, was it men's defender of the year? Um, I think it was, but he had a, he also had a very good, um, uh, year as well. Uh, he contributed heavily to Manchester City, I mean, making the finals. They obviously didn't win it, but he was a huge part of that run. Um, and then my left back was Jao Cancelo. He's, he's been phenomenal. Um, he's just been outstanding for Man City. Um, I remember, like, he had an underwhelming first season, and people were already starting to question the signing, and, I mean, now he's, like, he's pretty much one of the first names on the team sheet for City at this point, Um, so, yeah, my midfield, so, when I asked my friends, this was the part where I got the most, like, like, uh, criticism about, and I can understand why. I can totally understand why. Um, so my midfield is uh, Kevin De Bruyne, um, Joshua Kimmich, and Jorginho. So most people agreed with Kimmich, and I think that's pretty explanatory, self-explanatory. I mean, 
He's he's probably the best defensive holding midfielder in the world, point blank. Um, now, Jorginho and De Bruyne was where a lot of people questioned me, and uh, I understand why. Um, I do think if we're being... Because like, I did this as unbiased as I possibly could, and I did this in a few ways, right? Like, when I consider my team of the year, I consider it based off of... First of all, who I think genuinely deserves it, but also who I think will probably like get it, right? That's kind of just why I went with Jorginho. Um, I do like I've already expressed my 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 thoughts on Jorginho in the past. Um, I don't think he deserved to finish third in the Ballon d'Or, and I don't think he deserved to win Men's UEFA Player of the Year by any means. Um, however. I mean, he did, at the end of the day, still win the Champions League and the Euros. And anyone who does that will get rewarded for it, um, especially if, you know, you're a starter. Um, so I do think he'll get in there, and I, I think at that point I might as well. Um, and then I also put in De Bruyne. I, I know he wasn't that great in, you know, he, he's been up and down, but he did have a really good... Um, start to 2021 like the first six months of it um he hasn't been great in the like as great in the last six months um but even still i i don't like i struggle to see anyone who will get it over him i think maybe modric deserves a show but unfortunately i think modric he just he doesn't get the love that he deserves if we're being realistic um but yeah that's uh that's my midfield and then my attack is um, Benzema, Lewandowski, and Messi. I don't think I have too much to really explain there. Um, I know a lot of Real Madrid fans were coming at my head. Um, but at the end of the day, like he is the Ballon d'Or winner. Whether you like it or not, the Ballon d'Or winner, he's always going to make the team of the year. That's just how it works, and they deserve to. Um, and then Lewandowski, in my opinion, he did deserve to win the Ballon d'Or. Um, he was the best player in the world in 2021, so that's a given. Benzema, that's also, you know, I think a given. And then my 12th man would be killing Mbappe. Um so yeah, um, so let's move on to the next question. Okay, I know I just said I'm going to move on to the next question, but I know people will be asking why I didn't put Ronaldo in my team of the year, and it's not even just because I think he's been bad, but I kind of answered it in my previous question, or like answered, like, I just, I don't think he's been better than Benzema, Lewandowski, or Messi. Or Mbappe. And, yeah, that's the only reason I didn't put him there. So, yeah, I, I don't have much explanation. I just, I don't think he deserves it. And he also went trophyless. And I know Benzema went trophyless, but, I mean, Benzema's just better. So, yeah. Um, okay, last question. Who do I think will win the World Cup? This is tough. Um, I mean... I would have said Italy, but now is the question of if they're going to make the World Cup. So, I don't think we can put Italy in that conversation yet, until they at least qualify. Um, 
I think the you know the big ones to watch are obviously France, Spain, Germany, England. Um, I think I think those are the favorites. Um, I don't think Brazil or Argentina are, are to be honest great. Um, I know Argentina won. Nah, nah. Okay, I'll, I take back what I said. I do think those two deserve shouts. Um, I think my favorites though are France and England. Just based on paper, yeah, it just has to be them. Um, especially if Harry Kane regains his form, and I think if Mbappe goes to Real Madrid, um, I think that honestly would make a difference. Um, but yeah, that's that's a tough one. I'm gonna go with either France or England. Um, but we never know, right? Um, I don't think many people expected Italy to win the Euros, and they did. How many people expected, except for Argentina fans, obviously, and Messi fans, I don't think many people expected Argentina to win the Copa America, and they did, so you never know in football, but I'm going to go with France and England. Um, I think England, they've learned from their experiences, you know, in the Euros, losing in the finals, and I think they'll take that, and I think they'll use it to good use, and maybe win the World Cup, we'll see, um, okay, so we have two more questions to finish off the show, and the first one is, if you could have one pro footballer on the podcast, who would it be, oh man, that's tough, um, I mean, it obviously have to be someone that speaks the same language as me, so, you know, someone that knows English, so probably not Messi, um, I mean, I could go the Ronaldo route, but I feel like that's a pretty generic answer, right, honestly, I think I would do Robert Lewandowski, because, I mean, I know the language, I speak Polish, um, and, I don't know, I, I just, I feel like it'd be a really interesting conversation. You're not, there's not many Polish players that, you know, make it pro, especially make it as big as him. You know, he's the, he's the greatest Polish player of all time. And and he is, I mean, really the only Polish player who plays at a club the size of Bayern, you know? So I think it'd be really interesting. I'd want to know, what it was like playing football in Poland, and how it was like, um, you know, going from playing in Poland to Germany, and, you know, winning the UCL, um, to, you know, you know, probably should have won at least one Ballon d'Or, um, I think that'd be really interesting, uh, just to hear his story, um, and I don't know, he he just seems like a really funny, and chill dude, you know, um, I mean, based on his social media, at least, um, and, and, yeah, he just seems like a cool guy, um, I also want to know what really happened with that Real Madrid transfer, um, back in, what was it, like, 2015-ish, um, who else, um, I don't know, maybe, like, Maybe Zinedine Zidane. He's, he obviously isn't pro now, but 
I mean, he's one of the best players of all time, you know, like, just asking him what it was like playing with the legends he played with, you know, there's so many, um, and then, you know, coaching Real Madrid, what it was like winning the three-peat, you know, stuff like that, I speak the language, obviously, and Zidane, I mean, he's one of the most historic figures in sports history, so, yeah, probably Zidane and Lewandowski, that's a really good question, I mean, I mean that's, yeah, that's a tough one, that's probably the toughest one, um, of the list, um, but, yeah, that was a good question, thanks for, um, sending that one in, my guy, um, and then the last one for today, your opinion on Holland coming in 2022 or later, um, so, yeah, this is, I, I had a feeling there would be a Holland question at some point, um, I, obviously would like to have Holland. My biggest question is, what does the fit look like? How does that work tactically? Because if you bring in Mbappe, you bring in Holland, then you have Holland, Mbappe, Vinicius, and Benzema. Right? And I know a lot of people will be quick to say, well, oh, easy, you just bench Benzema or or bring him, you know, put a, play him as a, a 10. But it's not as easy as that. It's really not. Because, first of all, there's already questions about where does Mbappe play, right? Without Holland, right? Where does Mbappe play? Because first you need to focus on Mbappe, right? The Holland transfer, I think, mainly depends on what happens with Mbappe. If Mbappe comes, his natural position's a left wing. But... There's no way he benches Vinicius, right? With the form he's been in this season. So, you play him right wing. You bring in Holland, he plays striker, but where does Benzema play? We can't just forget about Benzema, right? Like, that's the thing. People are so quick to forget about Benzema, but, like, guys, he's a world-class player. You can't just bench a world-class player. Um, I think the way you make it work, and I've heard it from a few other people as well, is you can kind of do what Mourinho did with Iguain and Benzema, where, you know, they just rotate, like, every game. And maybe that's something that could work. But, you know, do any of them accept that, right? Does Holland accept being on the bench every second game? Does Benzema accept being on the bench every second game? I think the bigger question is about Holland, because Benzema, I think, would understand more, like, okay... You know, uh, like, at that time, he would be 35, pretty much. He, you know, he'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm 35. I understand my time at the club is, is nearing its end, right? But Holland, he's, he's like 21, 22. Every club in Europe wants him. If he decides to come to Real, he knows damn well how much power he has. So, it, it's something that would take a lot of thinking, and... If he does come to Real, I do expect that whoever the coach is, obviously, hopefully Ancelotti and Perez and everyone else, they know how they're going to deal with the Holland and Benzema situation, right? The great thing about having a problem like this, I mean, this is what I call a good problem, because it's different when you have, like, not enough depth. This is, like, too much depth, right? But the good thing is, like, 
obviously, if one of them gets injured, which, you know, knock on wood, I hope, I never hope for an injury um, from a Real Madrid player, or from, from any player, honestly. I hate seeing players get injured, um, even if they're from an arch rival. But anyways, um, if one of them gets injured, right, you just put Benzema in, or you put Holland in, and whatever, okay? But the thing is, here's the other thing, right? Then, what do you do with Mariano and Jovic? That's another question. Because then you have four freaking strikers. Really five, honestly, because Mbappe can play striker as well, but he, he would play right wing, so that's that's not, well, we're not going to count him, right? I think the bigger question especially is Jovic. What do you do with him? Because right now he's playing as a backup, and he's not happy. It doesn't seem like it, at least. What would it be like being a third-string striker, literally playing a Mariano role, right? Only appearing off the bench in Copa del Rey, you know, and it's not like Jovic is going to be an easy player to move. That's my biggest concern. Because it's not about, okay, do you move Jovic on? Of course you do. do you? I mean, but it's the same thing. Like, we wanted to move Yo, uh, Mariano on like two years ago, but that hasn't worked out because, well, he doesn't want to leave because he knows damn well he won't be able to make six million euros at any other club. Right? And I feel like it's the same situation, or it would be the same situation with Luka Jovic. Because. I believe right now he's making like 11.5 million euros a season. He wouldn't make anything close to that in if he plays the way he's playing right now. He'd be lucky to even make 5 million, 4 million even, right? I think that's the big concern. And the, the problem is, is that, you know, if Holland comes in this summer, Mariano, he 100% won't leave this summer. We already know his personality, what it's like. So, he, he's going to leave in 2023. His contract will end. Real Madrid won't extend that contract, that's for sure. But Jovic, his contract doesn't end until, like, 2025. So, if Jovic does the Mariano thing where he's like, you know what, nah, I'm going to just sit here and I'm going to be a little asshole. <laughs> no, I'm obviously kidding. Um... But, you know, I'm just going to sit here, I'm going to collect my wages, um, and that's it. Then, Real Madrid have a bit of a problem. Because you're essentially paying a guy 11.5 million euros to do nothing. Which is kind of what Mariano has been doing. Except, Jovic makes double what Mariano makes. So, I mean, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, I kind of did a deeper dive into that, but, um, I mean, obviously, I want all the best players in the world to come to Real, and the most important thing is he just doesn't go to another La Liga club, um, and, and, yeah, but, um, I mean, we'll see what happens, um, but, yeah, guys, that's gonna do it for today's podcast, um, thank you guys so much for listening, and, uh, if you guys enjoyed it, Please make sure to follow. Please make sure to read. Please make sure to follow our Instagram at the Full.time Show, including mine at the Madrid Insider. This has been your host, Anthony. I hope you guys enjoyed. Have a wonderful day and stay safe. See y'all. Peace.